Hey friends, it's Michael here. I'm excited to bring you another conversation with one of our American Pianists Awards 2023 finalists. Today I'm talking to Kalen Cardello. He's one of America's most exciting young jazz pianists. We're having a conversation about life and inspiration. We'll get right into it, but here's Kalen playing a solo rendition of Anything Goes, the Cole Porter tune. Friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indie, talking to another one of our finalists for the American Pianist Awards, the jazz competition, Kalen Cardello. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. He plays the Jazz Kitchen tonight, two shows, as I record this on uh, Saturday morning. The second show, there were still a few tickets available, but if the uh, shows tonight, the premiere series at the Jazz Kitchen, sell out, go to AmericanPianist.org to buy your tickets for the finals at the Hilbert Circle Theater in a couple of months. Um, anyway, Kalen Cardell, this guy is definitely one of our great up-and-coming American pianists. He began playing piano at the age of five. Um, he grew up in a musical household in Teaneck, New Jersey. In, in his uh, younger years, we talk about this, he was part of the organization Jazz House Kids, played with jazz luminaries like Christian McBride, Jimmy Cobb, Ravi Coltrane, Dee Dee Bridgewater, Wynton Marsalis, on and on. Um, Kalen talks about his decision to go to William Patterson University, the great conservatory there, studying with Vincent Herring, um, the guitarist Russell Malone, Bill Sharlap, who will be the MC at the APA Finals at Hilbert Circle Theater. And um, we talk a lot about Kalen's life, what propelled him to be a musician, um, the influences that he absorbed in his household, the influences of friends, and the importance of having mentors and reaching out to mentors and taking feedback from mentors. So whether or not you're a jazz musician, I think there's a lot to take away just about life and creativity from this inspiring conversation with Kalen Cardello. I know you'll enjoy seeing him play live so I hope you enjoy this interview. See you soon. Kalen, thanks for taking the time on a Friday afternoon in Indianapolis. So you've just had a rehearsal for two sold-out premiere series shows tomorrow. Um, how are you feeling right now? Uh, a lot of emotions. I'm, you know, excited, nervous, um, anxious. There's a, it's, there's been a lot of prep and, and practicing and just, re- you know, preparing for, for tomorrow night in the last two, three months. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of still not hitting me that it's actually happening, but it, it is. And I'm super excited. It's all just, just as a fan, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, not, I can't imagine what it's like preparing for this, but just as a fan, it seems like yesterday I, I got to see you, um, like I mentioned earlier, at Dizzy's at the end of May, which is fantastic, um, and then at the Walker Theater. So there's a lot of excitement here in this city. Um, what I'd like to do is just 
for people who are coming out to see you tomorrow and people who are following APA just to get to know you a little more, hear more about your life. And um, I, I guess, um, I mean, it, it starts in New Jersey, right? You're, you're, yep. you're someone who's proud to call New Jersey home. You talk about it a lot. <laughs> um, and you, you were born there. Is that right? Yep. I was born in, uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. Teaneck. Um, and uh, I currently live in Jersey City now. New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Um, dad is a, is a professional musician, is that right? Mm-hmm. He's a yep. drummer. Percussionist. A percussionist. No yeah. Kidding. Okay. So he start. I mean, he started out on drums, you know, back in when he was in high school and, and I think his early, uh, years of, uh, in the professional field, but he quickly converted to percussion. He spent a lot of years in both Brazil and South Africa studying martial arts, mixed martial arts and percussion instruments and, you know, the various percussion instruments and way of playing in, in those areas. Um, and he did a lot of commercial work. He worked with Diana Ross. He did a lot of stuff in the 80s and 90s and some Broadway. And so, you know, I get I get all my musical genes from him because my mom is a, a nursing assistant. Yeah. Um, she was, but, but she was born and raised in the south of France. So she was exposed to great music, you know, the Nice Jazz Festival. She saw Miles. She saw James Brown. She saw all these, you know, insane legends play, so... Did your parents meet in the United States? Because those are some pretty they exotic. They both have pretty exotic <laughs> stories. Then, yeah, no, they did. They, I think, I'm ashamed to say I don't remember the year they met, but I, I know it was in the '80s. Okay, um, but they, yeah, they met in New York City. Okay, and um, so yeah, what what do you think? What what qualities do you get from each of your parents that 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 impact your um, your you know musicianship today? Oh man, uh, well, I'll, I'll start with my dad just because he's the the musician. Um, probably discipline. Um, you know, I mean, I get discipline from both my mom and dad, but discipline with practicing and, you know, going out to see other musicians play, hanging, um, you know, working on procrastinating, not, not, or rather not procrastinating, get that from, you know, my mom, um, uh, time management, just general responsibilities. I mean, they, they were both extremely important in my growth in those areas, you know, and, and I, I'm an only child. So okay. I got, I got all the, uh, the attention when, when needed, where needed, you yeah. know, <laughs> growing up. I'm, um, I'm picturing, I'm picturing your house. So given your dad's musical background and you know, your mom's love of music, was there, was there something on all the time? Was it just con- it was sort of a constant yeah. stream of music? Yeah, yeah. There was um, always, like when I was really young, um, they had, there's a classical station, WQXR, in the area, they have, they have that on all the time. And then they'd have the jazz radio station, WBGO, which kind of served as jazz, but also funk and pop, or not really pop, but like R&B and blues. They had a blues, blues hour. So I was exposed to a lot of like, um, you know, like Muddy Waters and and Nina Simone and like yeah. like people who you know who represent the blues really well. Um, and also he had, my dad you know has plenty of musician friends who made me. Uh, they would make me little cassettes. You remember cassette tapes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still got them. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and so uh, he he had friends who would make me cassette tapes and um of of Motown music. You know, so I was listening to Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder. Uh, Ray Charles, uh, Barry Gordy, like, you know, just all the Diana Ross, the Supremes, all of the, all of that. And I, I fell in love with it from yeah. the start. Yeah. It was, 
all kinds all kinds of music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the few people I've known who had either mother or father was a professional musician. I've seen this go both ways for for some people. A few of my friends have said, hey, it was modeled for me at a young age. This is a way you can make a living. And then some rebelled against it. It was like, you know, mom or dad was on the road all the time. So I was like, I'm not, Mm. you know, did, do you, do you remember sort of realizing that this was, this was a job, this was a vocation for your dad? Was that sort of always there as a possibility for you when you were a little kid? I honestly never really thought of it much as a job until, you know, more recent, I mean, in the scheme of things, you know, the last six, seven years, which is more recent than, you know, when I was like five or six, because he, he actually got offered to go on the road with Lion King. Um, I remember them telling me he, he didn't because if he, if he had, he wouldn't have really been able to hang with me in my, you know, young years for like, I don't know, maybe two or three years or something, you know, and so he made that decision. Um, but you know, and so I don't, I don't know how that would have affected me, um, but I've always loved the idea of being out and, and, you know, and being on the road playing music. And I, and I you know, related to, like, fam- having a family and then, I've, you know, I've thought about that stuff. But, like, I want to, like, really experience a musician's life and travel yeah. the world and play my music for people before, yeah. you know, settling down or any of that. I want to I get the, the chronology right because you've said... Um, numerous times how um, jazz house kids and you know relationships with your peers when you were very young how important that is and I think you know with yeah. APA with you and Isaiah and Esteban uh-huh. being finalists here it's like I almost feel like are we are we becoming jazz house kids Midwest or something <laughs> like but but yeah. um, is that who how did, did your parents encourage you to go that route uh, how, how did you discover that that community of jazz house kids my dad did and I I don't know exactly how he discovered them. It might have been a recommendation. It probably was a recommendation, actually. Um, But he just, one day he was like, hey, you're going to, or you should try for this, try out for this camp. Because it's it's both a summer camp and yearly classes, you know. So the first thing I ever did with them was their summer camp back in 2012. And I remember going to the live auditions. It was held at the, the Salvation Army in Montclair, New Jersey. And seeing Esteban for the first time, he was like maybe six or seven playing the, you know what, out of the piano. I was like, oh, wow, there's other kids who can play better than me and they're younger than me. I was yeah. like, oh, man. Um, you know, and I saw Isaiah and I saw all these other other guys and I was like thrilled. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I can, you know, hang with these people and, and, and we're all here for kind of the same reason, you know, and... um yeah, that that was that was that was man. It's crazy to think that that was more than a decade ago. That's when crazy. Was it before that? You know, like th- something I've been thinking about lately. The the sort the the joy that's in and the expression of improvising, like just mm-hmm. the pure, you know, what you experience. You know, when you're when you're taking you know a, a song um, or a composition to a place you haven't been before. You know, and sure. had you. Had you experienced that before your parents encouraged you to go the jazz house kids route, or did that did that sort of come later? Because I'm I'm fascinated by this because it just seems it seems like man, I mean, to be able to be able to tap into that as a kid, you know, and under the the freedom of I can I can improvise. This is a this is a mode of expressing myself when you're that young. I'm just really fascinated with that. 
I don't think honestly that I really grasped the idea of improvisation until after going to jazz house. However, I had um, my first ever transcription of a of a piano solo was Oscar Peterson's uh, Oscar Peterson playing on "If I Were a Bell." And I love that song. Yeah, Frank Lesser. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Me too. And you know, it's like his version is he's playing with his trio Ray Brown and Ed Thigpen, and yeah. you know, that's like my one of my holy grails for piano trios. Yeah. Um, but I remember my piano teacher at the time brought a, a printed out copy of it was like a somebody online had done a transcription of the entire piece, including the head, the intro, and then you know the solo and and even the chords in the left hand. So I learned it verbatim, not still not knowing what it meant to learn a tune. You know, like now, like Bill Charlotte from William Patterson has taught me. You know. How to learn a tune, learn the lyrics, yep. learn the original melody, go to the original sheet music, listen to the original recordings, the sing, you know, all of that stuff. Yep. I didn't know that when I was 11 years old. So I learned what was written on the page. But even listening to the recording, hearing how fast he was playing, how bluesy and soulful, I was like, damn, like this is, this is how I, this is what I want to strive to be like. I want to play like this. I want to, you know, I want to feel this happy. You know, watching Oscar play, he smiles all the time. Yes, and that's and that's another. You know, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But that's basically, like did did you did you then like with the the Oscar? This, if I were a bell, was it? Did you just get obsessed? You heard it and something hooked you, and you're just like I. Because I think about yeah. I have a I have a young son now. My mm. our oldest son is twelve, and he's been doing this for a while, and he'll just get obsessed with a topic, and it's all he can think about. And, yeah. And I, I love watching. It was it kind of, was it kind of like that? You just heard it. Yeah. And you couldn't stop until yeah. you. Re- okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's like you know I could I could sing the solo verbatim like today. You know I I could. I don't know if I could play. I haven't played in a minute, but I could. If I hear it, it's like I know me. You know, it was like one of those things where I was listening to it nonstop. Because I was just so enthralled by his plan, I was like, "Yeah, oh my god, yeah." Like, you know, I never heard anything like it before. Yeah, wow. Um, and in okay, so then did that did that inspire a because Oscar's technique is, um, you know, technical abilities are well documented, right? So to yes. where my mind goes is to then play that your command of scales and harmonics and just right hand, left hand have got to be. Did that inspire you to get it develop a, a highly regimented, disciplined um, kind of thing? Practice schedule at a young age, or how do you how do you even start to tackle that when you're young? A, a great question. How do you start? You know, it's it's like thank God for my for my teachers, but um, I always struggled a little bit with getting to the piano. You know, my thing is like once once I get half of it is sitting down. Yeah, because you know, once you're at the piano, then you just go and you, you practice and you have, whether you have a list of what you want to work on or you just go off stream of consciousness, yeah. um, you know, but obviously I was 11, 12 years old. And, and the thing that I really appreciate about my parents is that they weren't bearing down on me and they, you know, they weren't really harsh and like, oh, you can't do this until you practice like two or three hours. They would, they would let me be a kid. Right. Um, and so I mean, I would find inspiration quite often to practice. Yeah. And, you know, in that period of time when I was first hearing that song, I wanted to practice it a lot. Um, but in terms of just being able to play like Oscar, developing that technique, 
and command of the piano. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a lifetime. Like yeah. I'm, I'm still right. very much working on that. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, from that moment I heard the piece, you know, practicing piano since then for the last decade, yeah. you know, I always, it subconsciously or in the back of my mind, he's always there. I'm always thinking, okay, I want to, you know, kind of work up to that point where I have such a, com- I mean, I, obviously there are so many other pianists who I revere yeah. now, but to have command like that. between uh so between that age of 11 and 12 and this and you're you're you know really developing this passion and you're getting into jazz house kids between that when you decide to go to william patterson university because i want to ask you about that in a minute but are there um you know mountaintop experiences and things like that that you that kind of that that stand out in terms of you know you realizing I want to devote my life to this, you know, and mm. I want, I want to, I want to make this, I want, you know, I want to make this my life's work. I want to focus on this in college, you know, are yeah. there like, I'm thinking like 14, 15, 16, 17, are there experiences that stand out from that part of your life? I mean, definitely in, uh, I would say one thing I want one experience I always talk about is when I studied for, I took about eight lessons over the course of, eight months, it was like a lesson per month, uh, with Fred Hirsch. Wow. And he was the first teacher I had who was really blunt, you know, cause like I, obviously I had, if I didn't practice something or if I didn't do a certain, you know, my teachers in the past, they would, you know, reprimand me, but not, but he was like very straight up, you know? And, uh, I don't know if you can just, you can I, imagine the things. I'm, so I, I met him just but. I met him for the first time in May. Mm-hmm. I've been a fan of his since the '90s, and my hand was almost shaking. But I promised myself, <laughs> I promised myself, I wasn't going to bother him for more than a minute. Sure. But I just said, Fred, Michael Huber, blah blah blah. I've been following you, and you're you're incredibly generous. What you share and what you put out right. there, you know, in the yeah. videos and things like that. And I just love your whole like. I basically, I said, I learn about life, you know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. just to say, I've just met him that one time, but I yeah. can, I can picture his presence. You can imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So his presence. So I was like 15 or 16. Yeah. Right. And like I said, first blunt teacher. So I need, uh, looking back, I needed that. Yeah. And obviously maybe in the moment, you know, I was, and, and the, the reason it was only eight lessons is because we actually, we both decided that I had to stop studying with him. Um, after the eighth lesson, because it, it was, he, he told me, he's like, you have to go back to the nuts and bolts wow. of piano. And, wow. you know, that, I mean, that's a pretty big gut punch, but a good one, because I sure did. <laughs> and, and um, you know, he has this thing, just as one, one example, he always tells students this called the claw, which is just like playing really bad left-hand voicings, you know, and he has a whole... Um, series with this um, this program called Open Studio held by you know, Peter Martin does Adam so, Manis or yeah I know, yeah, I know right. those guys yeah both Peter and Adam yeah yeah, yeah. it's great they're great yeah it's, go a, yeah, it's a great program yeah, yeah. so and Fred has a whole segment where he talks about yeah. the left claw and all that you know but um he just those lessons that was that was a big experience and learning curve for me um, in terms of realizing like okay for the first time I really felt like you know, I, wow, I, I want to not prove him wrong, but in a way, like, I want, I just want to prove myself. How, how did you not, I know, I think of myself at that age and I could see walking away kind of demoralized, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And discouraged. So how yeah. did you, how did, so that clearly wasn't 
your well, I mean, direction. I definitely would be discouraged, you know. So sometimes walking out of his apartment, I was like, wow, like I'm I'm horrible. <laughs> yeah. But you, you I don't know, I just learned to use that energy and and that mindset and channel that into motivation because then I would go and hear him live or go hear another pianist live yeah. or listen to s- albums and be like, okay, they got there. How did they get there? Yeah. Through practice, through, you know, just I, experience. I, I know, I know that like, I know, I know on one hand, I know we want to be careful and not live our life just for affirmation of other people, but I'm dying to know, have you had, have you had since then experiences with Fred where he gave you like positive affirmation and said, Hey, you, <laughs> you, you know, you, yeah, you got one back of, on track. One of, well, it's actually funny. One of the, one of the best, one of the be- one of the probably the best lesson I had with him of those eight it was closer to the eighth lesson. Um, I don't remember which exact one, but I had you know worked on a piece. I think we were doing Ladybird, and I had worked, I had worked out something, and you know I played it, and he was like, "Okay, good." And then went on to, so that like that, but that, that was like huge for me. Right. Yeah. You know, cause like up until that point, just been, everything was like constructive criticism, you know? And, and then he was at Dizzy's, um, uh, when we played back in May yeah. and you know, he, he, I talked to so many people that, but I, I'm pretty, he said something like, like, like it, it, it sound, it sounded good or, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah. So like, it's very low, you know, like he's, he's not, I mean, but you know, he's not one to, to praise, right? That's right. You know, that's right. So, and, yeah. but, but, but I've just the fact that he's, that he noticed and that he yeah. said that, you know, yeah. it was nice. So I don't want to skip it, skip too much on the timeline. Cause I, this is really interesting. I, you know, William Patterson university, and I'll be honest as a music fan, I didn't realize William Patterson university had the program it did. And I, I've talked about him on this show. One of my favorite, like, Mount Rushmore of pianists was Mulgrew Miller. And I saw him, I saw him yeah. when I was, it was 20 years ago at the Catano yeah. lounge. And, um, there a lot, I mean, right? he did. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and I saw two shows there with my wife and brother, brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And I'm like, I never know if you, you know, that some, if you should talk to your heroes or not, you know what I mean? But I actually went up and talked to him and I saw like just what a kind individual he was. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. only talked for a couple of minutes, but he said, oh, yeah, I, I teach at William Patterson University, and I loved it and things like that. So, you know, um, I know that that was um, a, a university that you were drawn to, and I, I won't rehash. I know you've said in interviews, you know, combination of amazing music program and a university experience. Is that well, – yeah, was exactly. that Was that um, – um, was, was this – was this something? Were you kind of always, you know, heading down that road for for a long time, or was that a was that a, a difficult decision? And what what um, what led you to commit to William Patterson University? I'll be very honest. I applied to four schools: um, Juilliard, Berkeley, Eastman, and William Patterson. Yep. And at the start of the application process, William Patterson was the last. was was at the bottom. I was like, you know, none of the other ones work out then. Juilliard was was my I was like, you know, of I want to go there. This is Juilliard, blah blah. Um, and Eastman, I got in. They gave me a decent scholarship, but I realized really quickly, especially after doing the live audition, there, I was like, I don't want to be in Rochester for, you know, four years. Okay. <laughs> Berkeley also worked out, but I forgot to submit one financial aid paper, so and you know, and can't afford the the, the Berkeley prices. 
So it was down to Juilliard and William Patterson. And Juilliard, I got waitlisted. So I made it to, you know, the last round. And But through all of that, you know, when I got into William Patterson, Charlotte called me on the phone and he, to tell me I got in. He was like, wow. hello, Kalen, this is Professor Bill Charlotte. You know, and I, him and my dad have a, have a history. They were friends in their 20s. Jeez. And I hadn't really known that, you know, I, my dad had mentioned Charlep in, during high school, but I didn't really, you know, know him. Um, and I had never seen him play until after going to William Patterson. So, you know, um, but it, it became very apparent very quickly how, just how great of a school it is, um, you know, or the music program. And yeah, I, I didn't really think much going into it about the diversity of, living with students in a dorm that go to regular, you know, are there for math or science or whatever. And then going to school during the day, you know, again, having, having that, um, those different connections. Um, but like I said, it proved very quickly to be, it was great for me. It was the, it was the best thing that could have happened. Um, you know, and I, I am where I am now because of it. Yeah. And I'm really happy to be where I am now. Yeah. So, I'm going to, I'm going to do a, um, a, a, it's not like a segment, but I'm just, cause there's so much, there's so many questions that I have, but I'm, I'm going to name some of these folks that you've been able to study with and play oh, with at yeah, William Patterson sure. <laughs> and just tell me, tell us, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind. Let's start, let's start with Bill Charlap. What's the, what is the first, first thing that comes to mind when you think of Bill Charlap and the influence he's had on you? <laughs> I would say that the first, th- first thing I think of when I think of Bill Charlap is I just want to give him a big hug. He's that kind of guy. He's like, you know, he, he, he was like, like Harold Mabern, just the definition of kindness, caring, compassion, like fully on, fully, um, focused on the students and their needs and, and interests and, and, you know, propelling them in whatever ways they could. Yeah. You know, Charlotte is he's he's literally a second father to me at this point. Wow. And and, and the, the the thing about him is wow. is he really takes time to make sure he develops a connection with each of the, his students. You know, like like I literally we we call each other on the phone all the time. You know, we text, he's wow. like he calls me out of the blue and say, How are you doing? You know? And it's and, and that he really cares. Yeah. He really cares. For a guy who's got an internationally successful right. recording artist career guy who that he would take <laughs> the time. Yeah, yeah the, like one of the busiest musicians in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, Harold Mayburn, you mentioned the late, great. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? I, I'm actually going to talk about him tomorrow also at the, at the, the, at the show, but um, we're playing a couple of his pieces. Oh, cool. Um, you know, and he, I could talk about him for a long time, but I was, I'll tell one quick story which is actually the day that he passed. I was with him, and I was, I can't remember, I was either his last or second to last lesson of, of, of his life. And it was, it was, I know he only had two that day. It was me and, um, and a good friend of mine, Alex DeLazario, is a great tenor player. Um, and the, the thing I always remember, and, I've, and the second I found out the next day that he had passed away, I like immediately thought of this. So it was the first lesson of the semester, sophomore year, and I you know, was waiting for him, and I saw him walking down the hallway, so I went to meet him, 
And I was like, hey, professor, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? I had a good summer. How are you? you know, he had like a kind of a high-pitched voice like that. And and I was like, well, how, you know, how are you? Like, what, what's going on? How was your son? He's like, it's great. It's great. You know, I'm I'm, f- I'm fully booked until next May. So as, lo- so as long as I'm on this earth. And that's the first thing I, th- when, when I found, I was like, man, that's mm-hmm. like, that's deep. Like, <laughs> you know, he's like, he had no idea, but, um, he was just a beautiful human being and he wrote music for people. All of his songs, Edward Lee, what we're, we're playing tomorrow, written for yeah. Lee Morgan, you know, um, uh, he has another one called, um, Mr. Uh, what is it called? Mr. Johnson or something like that written, written for a, a tenor player, a mentor of his back in, in, in Chicago. You know, he, ha- he has all these tunes and they all have kind of a similar theme and then they're very bluesy They're mm-hmm. you know, and he's from Memphis and he grew up, he, he studied with, with finest newborn mm-hmm. junior, you know, he's just, I look up, uh, I looked up to, I still look up to him constantly yeah. and, and, and I carry his spirit every time I play. Yeah. Um, another name and the, the caveat for the listeners. So, um, you know, you, you, you make a conscious choice to study with the alto saxophonist, Vincent Herring. So Vincent Herring. Yeah. Experience. Vincent. Well, that's so, that's funny. So I studied with him in school and once we got to junior year, you had the option. I think a lot of colleges do this, but you have the option to pick any of the faculty you want to study with, you know? And so I had been studying, with pianists and you know Mabes and then when Mabes passed I studied with Mike Ladon and that was incredible Mike was also like the 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 that period of time Fred Hirsch for me like he was just extremely blunt you know and and I needed it and it was great but when I got to junior I was like okay I want to study with someone who I can play in tandem with who's not a pianist and just see what the vibe is and you know get just a a different opinion you know and so Herring we had a we actually had a rocky start my freshman year of college because you know I was was a freshman I was an immature freshman you know not fully um, realizing the people I'm studying with at that point you know and like I had I had a girlfriend and I was out doing things and I just you know I wasn't fully res- I wasn't responsible with my time and so there was this one instance where I was late to a, to a, a combo class with him and. You know, uh, he called me out for it, and and um, and and he, Herring's so, uh, the kind of guy like if if he knows you, he knows you, and he if he doesn't, then he won't even remember your name. You know, so I personally wanted to mend our connection, and I was like, like it was a goal of mine too, because I saw him, you know, hiring students for gigs. And like, he, it was very clear, like, you know, students that he liked at the school. And I was like, I like, it was just a person. Like, I want to, I want to be on his good side. I want him to like me. So, you know, that was freshman year. So a year went, sophomore year went by. I didn't have any combos or anything with him. But then junior year, I started studying with him. And our relationship just grew. Like, you know, I, I mean, it grew to the point where he called me for gigs. And, I, and, we, and we play every so often now, you know. For, for those of us... Um jazz fans who don't play or like myself who's not you know who's a pianist but not on a not on your your level and the levels of our finalists I'm really interested can you can you explain like so like you know a piano among other things is an arranger's instrument you know you get this full full range Mm -hmm. um, of of registers and you know some would say it it serves the control freaks among us you know (laughs) and then but a horn player right so can you can you tell can you share a little more like what what a 
what a jazz pianist can can learn from a horn player? I mean, more, uh, you know, he, a lot of like, just, excuse me, um, just different ways of approaching harmony and, and chords. And, you know, another thing, excuse me, another thing that he, that I, why I wanted to study with him is because he played for many years with the late, great Cedar Walton, who is one of my all-time favorite pianists, you know, up there with, with Oscar. Yeah. Um, so he just had so much. This is my first time knowledge. in Village Vanguard 2003. Saw it two Cedar Walton shows. Oh, my gosh. Buster Williams and uh, Joseph Farnsworth. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to tell, I'll, I'll, t- Go I'll, I'll tell Farns. Please, I, I, so yeah. I, pl- I play with Farns pretty, pretty often now oh, he's in amazing. the city. Yeah. I'll tell him oh, about, about that. Yeah, yeah, Cedar, yeah, 03. Oh, man, with Busters. Woo. Yeah, it was nuts, yeah. Yeah, but sorry. No, but no, Cedar, that's fine. But you that's know, fine. So, so Cedar Walton. I mean, tell me, tell me about yeah. That. Well, well, um, because Cedar. I mean, he as a composer, right? He's, oh. His compositions are amazing. Un- but I, but I, and again, what it's hard for me to articulate it. But you know, but but it's like yeah. his his melodies and his motives are always incredibly clear. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is that is that a, a yes. fair assessment? Uh, yeah. Yes, and it's like, I mean, every everyone, all composers have their thing. But you know, yeah. like I think of him like Mayburn, where he, there's like these certain rhythms or melodies that are so unique yes. you know cedar uses this like uh, 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 he, he kind of uses that rhythm a lot like in groundwork and, and he has like other you know martha's prize and hindsight there's a lot of his tunes that are you just know it's cedar because of the because of how melodic it is but but the rhythms like his sense of rhythm and obviously it helped having billy higgins in his group because billy higgins is you know one of the masters of, of drumming period not even just jazz drum just drumming in general absolutely um but that's incredible that you real quick i just want to say so yeah. buster williams man yeah i saw the first time i saw buster was at william patterson um which another thing about william patterson is is the opportunities we got to see people like buster williams you know lenny white and john faddis yeah. and um uh what's um, um steve nelson okay you know all the uh, Jimmy Steve, Heath, Steve the vibes player. Yeah, Steve, Steve Nelson's vibes player. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Heath. Yep. You know, before he passed, like it was just incredible artists who they've had. But Buster brought his group with uh, with Lenny White, yep. um, Bruce Williams playing sax, yep. and uh, George George Colligan, Colligan, George Colligan. Yep. Okay. On piano, and you know, doing all original stuff like incredible music, but. You sit, you know, it's like a, it's kind of built, the, the main stage in, in William Patterson is kind of built like an amphitheater, so it's raised, okay. and we all sat, all the students, we were like right in the center, because Buster has his bass set up, you know, he has his own amp and his own preamp and all this stuff, and the first note was like watching like Top Gun in 3D, you're just shot back from the, just um, the sheer force of his sound, you know, and it's like, it's like watching a movie in 3D, you're just like, yeah. Like, oh, my God, you know? And, and so thinking about you hearing him in the Vanguard. Yeah, yeah. It was it was something. Oh, my gosh. That, the combination. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know who Farnsworth was at the time, but it was it was larger than life. Um, Farnsworth's William Patterson. Is that right? Farns. And teaches there as well? Or he, he subs, he subs uh, a lot okay. for Charlotte and Herring. Is that right? So, so you know, Herring, Farns, they have uh, Eric Alexander, okay. the tenor player, also okay. was in, I think, was in Farns' grade okay. for a few years. Um know. 
another name, and I don't know this person. I don't know of this person. I had to look him up. Uh, Dave Kikowski. Oh, did man. I say his name correctly? Yeah, yeah Dave and I Kikowski. Wanna, and before yeah. you, Kikowski. So before you, re, here's, here's a quote about you from Dave Kikowski. He's investigated the whole history of jazz piano and is able to incorporate concepts from Oscar Peterson to Brad Meldow and beyond. That's Dave Kikowski talking about you. Yeah, um, yeah tell, tell us about Dave. He's the man. I met him doing the national uh, Charles Mingus competition in high school because he's in the Mingus big band and he rather he's the, he, I think he shares the chair with uh, Helen Sung. Um, and so we, you know, uh, jazz house kids, the big band got into the competition. So, you know, they have these daily activities or classes before the, the day of the actual competition and so there was a rhythm section class, and it was him and Boris Koslov, who's his bass player. Um, they were running it. I remember the first time seeing Dave, he's, like, super eccentric and, like, very animated. And we were like, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, I'd never seen him in my life. And he was just, like, as he was talking to us, he was pacing around the entire room. And, you know, some people, anyone listening who knows him would laugh at that because that's just Dave. He's like, you know, he can't stand still. And, you know, I love him. But, um... So that was 2017, and then my senior year, 2018, we all, we did the Mingus competition again with the Jazz House Big Band, and that was when, uh, that year I won a soloist award, and if you got a soloist award, you got to sit in uh, that night with the Mingus Big, Big Band at the Jazz Standard in New York City, you know, and, and that club closed, unfortunately, but, yeah. um, so I got to do that, and then he was there, and, and, you know, I just, my dad and I approached him and asked for, asked for some lessons, and... I've been I've been studying with him ever since, and he's just been a wealth of knowledge for me and and my growth. You know, studying with him versus it's a great night and day with him and Charlotte because you know Charlotte is way more like American Songbook and and standards and learning tunes like that, and, and just you know that kind of sophistication within within jazz. And then Kikowski is like a different like genius level like composer, har harmonic uh, master, you know, just play and, and like has his, what he calls his bag of tricks, you know, and it's like influences from McCoy to Herbie to Oscar, you know, oh, I'm sorry. No. Um, and uh, so it, it's, it's really, it was really great to, to have both of them, you know, but, but yeah, Dave, Dave is just, and, and I actually, I'm playing one of his songs tomorrow called Pythagoras, which nice. is this, just super intricate it, you know it, it sounds like it's in seven four but it's really like bar like two bars of four then a bar of three then mm -hmm. another three bars of four and then you know it's like just random bars of three um and it's it's kind of like a rock backbeat and it's really fun to solo over and obviously you know kenny and nick are are killing it <laughs> so good to hear we love those guys in indianapolis yeah we know, we know how lucky we are that they're here oh man they're so oh. good that's great um i'm picturing you having this experience then at William Patterson University with all these, you know, I mean, the, some of the best jazz musicians in the world. And then, um, um, and, and I, I highly encourage people listening. If you haven't seen, uh, Kalen Cardello, a day in the life that just came out in the last nine or 10 days, please check it out because with a, the, uh, the video spends a minute on, um, a recital that you gave, I think it was your senior year spring my recital. Sen my senior recital, yeah. So it was your, your final uh, recital at William Patterson University before graduation? Is my, right? my only one. Your only you, one. We had options to do junior recitals, but okay. you know, it was, most and people so, just did a senior. Some, so it's like, it's like 
you have that recital. You have you you find out you're a finalist for APA. You have the kickoff to the APA competition, and all this is happening. Yeah. And and and, and um, uh, and and you're you're literally a gigging musician and composer now. Yeah. Um, what's the last? I guess what that's all that's happened in the last eight months. So I was telling uh, Kenny before. It's crazy how, in the last, like. You know, I, I figured even going into this or before, like applying to this competition, I had, I knew about this because, you know, I knew Emmett Cohen and Sullivan and I, and I had seen things about it and I was like, okay, you know, I could apply for this in X amount of years, you know, and I had, it's just, it's just um, harping on like the fact that I'm still, it's still surreal to be here. Like I had no idea that the amount of growth I've made in the last five or six months, I figured that that would happen over the course of maybe one or two years. But now, you know, I'm, I'm booking gigs at notable clubs in the city as a leader. I'm playing all the time, um, weekly gigs. I'm, you know, doing this, <laughs> this competition. Like it's, I mean, I think I always, always stay humble. You know, yeah. I'm always hungry for more. Um, so New, keeps me humble. New York in 2023, I, I, I haven't asked any of our folks before, um, but you've obviously decided to make New York, New Jersey, your home. You know, um, you mentioned the jazz standard clothes, but to my knowledge, I mean, obviously the Vanguard is the Vanguard is smalls. Um, Small. Yeah. Still a thing. Play, so, play smalls. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So where, <laughs> where are the, where are your favorite places to play? You know, and I'm thinking also for people visiting New York. So I'm thinking like, can you give us a few of your, the, the well-known clubs that people would know about, and then are sure, there more sure. more of the the lesser-known or underground places that are great? Yeah, um, I mean, Smalls is always great because I always I can I can never never go in there and not see someone who I know. Right? It's like cats are always hanging, <laughs> whether it's there or Mesro, which is the sister club across the street. Um, so, you know, Smalls is really fun to play because there's always people. There's always, there's a lot of tourists there and there's a lot, there's a lot of young I, people. And I, I, it's, it's your, it's your show, but I got it. So you just triggered something. So this is like 2011 or 2012 and I'm there yeah. on business. Uh-huh. And so I go to see Jimmy Heath, who's still alive. Then at Smalls. At, yeah. At Smalls. Oh, wow. He was playing. Okay. I forget. He's playing. So I'm sitting at the bar and I'm like, Oh, Ethan Iverson. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> right. I just saw you in Indianapolis. Right. So it's yeah. that, it's that kind of it's thing. That, right. right. Exactly. Sorry. So yeah. that's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. You can have like, you know, a, a young group of students from NYU or FIT walk in just because they, you know, probably they look up like, what bar, where can I get drinks late, you know, past midnight? <laughs> so, but, and, but then they actually enjoy the music. Um, and then, yeah, you'll have Tom Hanks walks in. Uh, just Spike, Spike Wilner, who owns the club, he just posted on Facebook that a few nights ago, Tyson Fury was there. It's like, you know, uh, um, uh, Harrison Ford has been there multiple times. And then you'll have like Robert Glasper, you know, um, Nicholas Payton is frequently this. So, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just a hang and it's like always, it's kind of like a safe haven in a way for jazz musicians to just Are there places or places that are like that, but maybe lesser known to the the tourists like me? um, I mean, there's, there, it depends on the night, you know, like there's Zinc Bar in the village, which is also a, it can be a great hang. Um, Arthur's Tavern is becoming a, a hang now. It, it's more recent. Uh, I think recently opened after the pandemic. I don't really know the history. Did um, Kitano make it? 
jazz a guitar. Oh man, I I, I want to say no. Okay. Because I haven't heard anyone say anything about okay. it. Okay. Unfortunately. Are um, the are the are the jam sessions still a thing in 2023? Obviously, it's a huge part of bebop history, and you know, everything like that. So are the are the, yeah. the, the 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 are you are there places that you can go on a night and and you know it it's 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 an open session. At least it, well, Smalls Smalls is still probably holds the title for like the most popular most popular one you know um but it also is it it can get rowdy they 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 started up sessions late night sessions at dizzy's again i'm actually hosting um one so they give it's like a three night thing you host on thursday and then you play two sets friday and saturday and so i'm at so i i got hired to do one of those in mid-february um so that 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 can be a hang. There used to be a great hang at Mittens Jazz Club in Harlem on Thursday nights. They would have sessions there, but that was during the pandemic, when the band was all like titans, who you know weren't traveling all the time. And, you know now now everybody is kind of quote unquote back to normal. So I haven't been there in a while, but you know Mittens can be a hang. Um, yeah, you know. There, there is a, actually there's also a place in New Jersey that is less known because it's New Jersey, which is unfortunate. But there's a, it's called Moore's Lounge. Okay, Hoboken, or would that be? It's in Jersey City. Jersey City, okay. And it's a Great. session held by Winard Harper, who's he's like one of the greatest drummers alive. Cool. Um, and that's a really cool session. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. So, um. Making a career for yourself, you know, in 2023, obviously, you know, you've got one, I know it's just one of the things you're doing, but this competition has got a pretty, you know, set demanding schedule, but, mm-hmm. you know, for, for kind of building your, I guess I feel like as a, as a big fan and I'm in my mid forties now, but now I've seen it, it's, I almost feel like you've got Emmett Cohen being one, you know, we love, we right. love Emmett in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, They're almost like some, um, jazz musicians of your generation and i'm thinking maybe some um, men and women who've been uh, maybe five to ten years older than you who have like figured out creative ways to build an audience and do what they want to do you know it seems like the pandemic forced a lot of people to get really creative but mm-hmm. it just seemed i don't know it just seems like um I, f- I feel like i feel like jazz is becoming even more relevant but but there are young artists figuring out how to build their audience and get their music out in really creative ways. I mean, does that make sense? It does make sense. I, I, I actually, I look up a lot to Emmett for that. You know, he's created a huge audience from, you know, live at Emmett's place, like the stuff he does with that. And he's doing challenging music too. I mean, it's not yeah. like, I feel like he's not, it's not like, um, he's, um, you know, diluting or, you know, he's, yeah, he's yeah. doing some actual, what he, Playing real, real stuff. Yeah, um, you know, and it and it helps to have a killing band with him too. Yes, um, and all those guests. But you know, I look up to him. I I, I think, um, I think you know, everyone's gonna find their own little niche, their own way to to promote themselves, and you know, everyone's sense of marketing is different. But I mean, obviously, that's super important today yeah. because jazz music is one of the lesser listened to 
forms of art or yeah. music in the, in the country, you know, and in the yet world. the people who love it are obsessed, obsessive about it. Exactly. You, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure you can, you've probably experienced, you've probably yourself have converted a lot of people. Oh yeah. The journey. I've, yeah. Wa- I've watched friends of mine be converted, not even through me, through other friends. Like I, I yeah. have a tenor player friend who, you know, one, one, of, one of my boys from back home in Teaneck who, you know, doesn't listen to jazz ever. We went one night we were all hanging and, and, and this tenor player, he did, just basically took him through a history from like, you know, Art Tatum and Louis Armstrong all the way up to mine. Like my friend texted me like, you know, every week he's like, Oh, I'm checking this out. I mean, I'm like, man, like it, it, that, that's a, that's a really satisfying feeling when you turn someone on to jazz, you know, because it's like, I I always say as a musician, I have a respect for all types of music. You know, you always hear people saying like, Oh, I hate, country music or I hate house music or I hate rap or you know but it's like I think you have to as an artist as a creative artist you have to have a basic level of respect for you know it doesn't mean you have to like it but having respect you know and so that comes with like classical music and jazz there's so many people who will just completely disregard it and not even you know give a care for it. but it's like you know classical music and jazz music I mean really jazz is like the foundation of pretty much everything that people listen to today. And and a lot of people fail to realize that. And that's not, I I don't want to sound like I'm like, oh, you have to like jazz because it is the grandfather of what you, you know. It's just, like I said, having a basic level of respect for it. That's right. You know. The rhythm, development and rhythm, development of of complex harmony. Exactly. Yeah, it's all there. I mean, just even just straight up the blues, right? It's like, absolutely. Uh, uh, Chuck Berry. Yeah, right. It's all there. <laughs> like, I'm. Um, you, you've been very generous with your time. It's just it's flown by as as I as I thought. Um, I do want to ask you a few things. One one of them is just about uh, about this competition. How's the experience been? You know, of course, you know, selfishly, we really want Indianapolis to welcome each of you, and it also, you know, it seems like there's a real chemistry among the finalists, you know, I know Mm. it's a competition, but I, and I know you've obviously you've known Isaiah and Esteban forever, but tell us, you know, what, what's that experience been like for you so far the last several months? Well, we don't, at least I don't view it as a competition. I, cause like I, yeah, like you said, I know Esteban and Isaiah, you know, they're like brothers to me and I've known them for a long time. And and regardless of the outcome, they're still going to be there for each other. Still going to hang out. Still going to, you know, I'm going to learn it hell of a lot of stuff from Esteban and Isaiah because they are powerful musicians Um, along with Thomas and Paul, you know, who I didn't know as much beforehand, but have become really close with now. Um, I've, you know, nothing but great things to say. I've, I feel like for the first time in my life, like being treated like a real, you know, musician, like, like how a musician should be, you know, and, and APA really cares about, providing all you know not just it's not just about like oh there's a giant cash prize in the end or oh you get all of these things it's the journey there yeah right and that's why one of the best things i think about this competition is the fact that it's a year long yeah so it gives time to view us as artists and how we grow and who who we actually are you know it's not a one-day thing um like okay we'll give this person $5,000 because they sounded the best, right? you know, in this truncated period of time. Right. Like, no, you had a whole year. 
how did this person grow? How do they show themselves? You know, it's it's so cool because now now having followed the organization for about fifteen years, it's like it's like um, we for the all the finalists, including the winner, but it's really all the finalists. You know, it's like you follow the growth of. Um, Emmett Sullivan Fortner, but I'm even talking about people who are finalists, Christian Sands. And so oh, yeah. you fo- we, we yeah. follow these people quite right. intensely for a year. And so, you know, it's our hope, you know, Dan Tepfer comes back and yeah. I mean, fill, fill in the blank. Chris um, Bowers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Doing so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and uh, no, it's, it's, this great to hear. It seems like it, it, cause to, to those of us audience members, it seems like there's a real respect that you all share. Um, only a couple questions left. One of them is, and I hate to hit you by surprise, but <laughs> any books, it could be book or could be a podcast or could be something that's, that you, it could be, could be a TV show or a film that's even, that's been an influence lately. That's, that's top of mind that you would recommend to, uh, audiences. Oh, uh, could be any, literally anything. Wow. Any, even, even unrelated to music. Um, I mean, you know, I, Usually, it's funny. Usually, when I when I watch TV or, or movies or anything like I can't, that, kind of just I like turn my brain off and just okay. you know. But I did watch a movie the other day um, called Till, which is about the life of Emmett Till. Oh, and it came out last year. Okay. Have Have you seen it? No. It's a uh, it's it's a it's a movie. It's not not yeah. a documentary. But um, my uncle um, he uh is also a percussionist, a singer, guitarist, you know, self, self band kind of thing. And, and he's a, a sound engineer. And, you know, so I, he spent a lot of time also in South Africa and he made this album. And uh, one of the songs he, he's just sings and plays piano called, he, he called it for a whistle. And it was about Emmett Till. And I remember listening to that when I was like, I think the album came out when I was like eight or nine and I, I loved the song. I mean, it, it's so emotional, and he, he really captures the, the life and, and what happened in the song. It's like maybe a three-minute song. Is this out there? Can people find it, for the song For a Whistle? Yes, it's, it's, it's on his website. Okay. Um, and it, it's, it's Mtakati. Mtakati. M-T-H-A-K-A-T-H-I. Okay. Got it. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I might have butchered. I, th- I think yeah, yeah. that's it. Okay, but um, and, but it's like okay. Safro rock. It's you know com- a combination of rock and roll and and South African music. Wow. And but this song is very much just, you know, piano and voice singing. It's very emotional, and I was thinking a lot about that when I watched this movie, um, and just the power of, you know, till. Yeah, I'll check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. I do love these interviews here because you always get the sound check <laughs> for the next band. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it's, like it's, a, it's, it's organic. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. I love it. Well, Kalen, I, you've been really generous with your time. Um, congrats on two sold-out shows tomorrow. Thank and then, you so um, much. Our goal is to sell out the finals at the Hilbert Circle Theater oh, with Cecile. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When like I what? found out we were playing with her, I was like, I, I, you know... And your mentor, Bill, <laughs> Bill, your second father, Bill Charlotte, is going to host Do the MC. Right? Yeah. I know he, he told me that. I was like, no yeah. way. It's it's a it's it's a it's a gift for Indianapolis. But it's going to be quite a, the hang. It, it's gonna, it's going to be great. We're we're gonna we're gonna do our best to sell it out. But um, I really appreciate you spending time, and I think it's going to give a lot of the people you know coming to your premiere series concerts and and seeing you in the finals just a you know a fuller um, appreciation of who you are. So we're we're excited to to follow you on your journey, and uh, just thank you for making the time.
Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Appreciate it.